Please turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Our passage this evening comes from the book of Genesis chapter 4, verse 17. I will read through chapter 4 through chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zilha. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Limech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Limech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Limech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also, uh, to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the book of the, genea- the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Canaan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan for 815 years. He had other sons and daughters. Thus, after the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. After Mahalalel lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years, 
Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground the father has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Tonight we've come to a part of the Bible that is everyone's favorite part of the Bible, genealogies. We love genealogies, don't we? We often skip over genealogies and think they have nothing to teach us. But every part of God's Word is useful uh, for instruction and for training in righteousness. And this passage, too, is useful for us. So as we consider it tonight, I want us to see how this passage points us to the Lord Jesus Christ and what we can benefit from it. Uh, first, we should know that the, the passage is in some ways a contrast, contrast between the line of the serpent and the seed of the woman, going back all the way to Genesis 3.15 in the prophecy that they, the seed of the woman would cr- crush the serpent's head. But as Pastor Johnson noted last time, there are seven in the line from Adam to Enoch, and that's the line of the seed of the woman. And then there are seven in the line from Adam to, Cain, uh, to Lamech through Cain. That's the seed of the serpent. And so we're going to start this evening by looking at the seed of the serpent. Uh, if you look in verse 16, I didn't read verse 16 of chapter 4, the Lord puts a mark on Cain, uh, and Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, the, the name Nod means wandering. So he is wandering east of Eden, outside of the garden, and he has a mark of God's protection, but he is full of anger and disdain towards God. You might think that the line of Cain, the line of the serpent, would have absolute evil and nothing good, but that's not true. We actually find a fair bit of good in the line of the serpent. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, Here's what Derek Kidner, one of the Old Testament scholars, has said, that the civilized arts and crafts belong to the line of of Cain. And he says that the Bible nowhere teaches that the godly should have all the gifts. What we see is a kind of prosperity, but it's a dark prosperity. Alan Ross has said that Cain's posterity took the lead in producing cities, music, weapons, agricultural implements, in short, civilization. We see that beginning in verse 17, Cain goes out after he knows his wife and she conceives, she bears a son named Enoch, and he goes to build a city, a city. Enoch means dedication. Now, that's what the word means, dedication. Now, no doubt that meant that he was dedicating his life and this city to rebellion against God. Where did Cain's wife come from? People have asked that question. 
Here's what the commentators have said that, here's what Derek Kidner has said. Um, oh, hang on one second. Uh, Genesis 5, 4 inform, informs us that the days of Adam after he fathered Seth, Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. So we must assume that Cain's wife was one of Adam's other daughters or granddaughters. And one of the commentators says that in that era and for centuries later, marriages were uh, in incestuous degrees, did not have the very serious genetic consequences which now prevail. So I know it's a little weird for us to consider and think about, but uh, most likely it came from another daughter of Adam and Eve. Uh, at least that's my opinion. There are other opinions, but that's my opinion and the ones that I, the commentators that I read. Now, let's consider that um, why he builds a city. He builds a city to protect himself, Cain, to protect himself and his, his children from the, the guilt and plague of his conscience. Guilty men are, feel hunted and forever feel uh, persecuted in some ways. They're scared of what might come to them. But in verse 18, we hear of Lamech. Now, Lamech does something that the rest of Genesis proves to be disastrous. Not only is it sinful, but it brings terrible consequences, and that is he introduces polygamy. In this case, uh, two wives, bigamy. In Genesis 2, 24, we know that it says, the word of God says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, one wife, and they shall become one flesh. But Lamech disobeys that command. He takes two wives, and Ada, through his first wife, Ada, he has two sons in verses 21, or excuse me, 20 and 21. The first son excels in livestock and pastoral life, meaning a life of being like a shepherd, agriculture. The other son excels in musical arts. Now, those are good things uh, to be, to excel in. Livestock, musical arts, these are common grace gifts that God blesses all of mankind with and we benefit from. Jubal, one of the son's names, Jubal, uh, it bears a connection etymologically with the idea of jubilee, or you've heard the term jubilation. If you're jubilant, you are happy, you're joyful. That's where we get that word from. And Israel has a concept of jubilee in the Old Testament. We get that term from Jubal and his name. Zilhah bores Tubal-Cain. Now, this is his other wife, Zilhah, Lamech's other wife. And Tubal-Cain forges bronze and iron instruments. Now, the commentators that I read said, no doubt this included not only things used for agriculture and farming, but also weaponry. What we see then is that technology and industry from the very beginning, while it can bring benefits to us and to human life, it can also bring terrible consequences. I can't help but think that in our own day, we've seen scientific uh, prosperity or scientific advances that have brought us modern medicine and wonderful things, but also it can be used for evil. It can be used for weaponry. It can be used to uh, devalue human life. And it's a double-edged sword. Here's what Kent Hughes has said. Godless Canaanite civilization birthed massive cultural advances that have enriched 
all of life. Of course, this doesn't mean that the Sethite culture was not making similar advances, but Cain, Cain's descendants distinguished themselves in this. Nonetheless, we don't see redemption. We do not see any kind of redemption in Cain's line. Verses 23 and 24 are Lamech's boast. It's traditionally called the song of the servant. Excuse me, not the servant, the song of the sword. And what is he boasting in? Verses 23 and 24. It's a song. He's saying, if Cain avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech will avenge 77-fold. Uh, for, for what reason? Well, he was wounded, and it says in verse 23, uh, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man. That word for young man is actually the word yeled, the Hebrew word yeled for child. So what we see is the descent into greater and greater evil and greater and greater vengeance. Uh, Cain killed his brother, Lamech kills a child, and he boasts in it. He disdains God, and so we see that life has been devalued. I should also say quickly as an aside that when in the New Testament, when Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven or 77 times. It could be, and some of the commentators have noted, noted that Jesus might be referring back to the song of the sword, all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, and saying that where Lamech had took vengeance on those who wounded him, I'm going to forgive. Uh, I'm going to forgive, and so should my, my people. They should forgive instead of take vengeance, and so should we. Let's now consider the line of Seth. The line of Seth, beginning in verse 25, Eve names uh, his, her, her son Seth. Seth means appointed. Now that is recalling Genesis 3.15. She's saying that this may be the appointed son. In her eyes, he may be the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. He might be the one that uh, will advance our estate. Seth also can mean foundation, and most likely what they were thinking of was that the foundation of their family and of Seth's line would be one of godliness and of calling upon the name of the Lord. As Cain's line took the lead in pioneering the arts and cities, Seth's line would pioneer worship. They would call upon the name of the Lord, and in Moses' writings, in the first five books of the Bible, to call upon means to proclaim. So the idea is that his line proclaimed the truth about God. They worshiped God truly, they, uh, according to his word. And that's, in many ways, what we still do today. Acts 4 says that there is salvation in no one else other than the Lord Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So that's our hope, too. Our hope is that we gather together, we call upon the name of the Lord, we hear the word of God proclaimed, we seek to understand the truth about God, and that's what we continue to do today, following after our forefathers in the faith. In the next chapter, we have a look back to, in the first two verses, a look back to Genesis 1.27, that God created man in his own image, 
in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When Adam has a son, he, it says, uh, it says, God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And then uh, verse, excuse me, uh, four, no, three. When Adam fathered Seth in his own likeness, after his own image, he named him Seth. So it's a, it's a looking back to the original purpose of, of man's creation. And while we're created in the image of God, um, Seth did not have the unfallen image. He had a fallen image. And the Bible's teaching is that even though we've fallen into sin, we haven't lost completely the image of God. We still retain the image of God. It's just been perverted. It's been twisted. While Adam was to walk before God in true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, Seth still has the capacity, and all of Adam's children still have a capacity to hear God's word. We're still charged to rule the earth in uh, God's place, to take dominion. We're supposed to have a relationship, a spiritual relationship with God. So we still have God's image, but it has been marred. We are now dead in trespasses and sins apart from the grace of God in our life. But they are still commanded to be fruitful and multiply. And here we have in verse, excuse me, chapter 5, a short history book, you might say. Here's what Derek Kidner has said, that the opening of chapter 5, this is the book, those words, seems to indicate that the chapter was originally a self-contained book or written account uh, of whatever length. Kent Hughes has said that the 10-generation structure of the genealogy indicates that it's a selective genealogy with gaps between the ancestors, which leaves room for substantial increase in population. The other Genesis genealogy from Shem to Abram and Genesis 11 also includes 10 generations. And in Ruth, chapter 4, King David's genealogy also includes 10 names. So these 10 name structures telescope the number of descendants in order to create a compressed history. Why are the people so old? Here's another question. Why are the people so old? Should we take these years literally? I think the answer, as far as I can tell, is yes. Derek Kidner says that as far as we can tell, the lifespans are intended literally. It may be worth pointing out that our familiar rate of growth is not the only conceivable one. Um, another commentator said that the conditions of life were such that men had superior in health and longer lifespan. The flood brought these advantages to a decline and an end. Again, my opinion is that these are normal years as we would think of them. Now, there are a few important people, two important people, uh, more than two maybe, but two especially in this genealogy that we need to focus our attention on. When Seth names his son Enosh in verse 6, Enosh, I'm not going to focus on Enosh, but it means, his name means the frail one or the mortal one. What we see in the genealogy is something that was not supposed to happen from creation, which is death. So-and-so lived, he fathered a son and this year, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. So death has come into the, to all men, including the line of 
the seed of the woman. It's not meant to be that way. It, it was not intended to be that way in creation, but because Adam fell, this was the consequence. Of course, there is an exception. We have one exception um, here to that, and that is Enoch in verses 21 through 24. Enoch, it tells us, walked with God in verse 22. Now, that is that phrase is unusual. It's unique. It's only here and in, at least in Genesis. I don't know about the rest of the Old Testament, but here in Genesis, it's only used about Enoch and Noah in chapter 6, verse 9. That phrase is different than walking before God or walking after God. Those, those phrases mean walking blamelessly or upright, uh, following after God's commands. But here to walk with God means much more of an intimate fellowship and connection with God. Uh, one of the commentators says that the minor prophets use this phrase to describe intimate walk of priests who enter into the Holy of Holies to speak directly with God. Of course, we know that Noah, uh, Abraham is the friend of God. Moses speaks to God face to face. Jacob wrestles with God. We know men who have an intimate connection with God, but Enoch alone in the book of Genesis does not experience death. That's very unique. We also know, of course, Elijah does not experience death. The Lord takes him. And that phrase, being took, is also one used in Psalm 74, verse 24. It says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me or take me to glory. This must have been a tremendous man to have known Enoch, uh, to walk with God for so long and to be taken. Hebrews 11:5 says, by faith... Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, that's the kind of fellowship we're to have. Jesus himself says, this is eternal life, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I think of John 14, verse 3, when Jesus says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What we learn from Enoch is that we are to walk with Christ. We are to walk with God every day, intimately. We are to have fellowship with Him, not just on Sunday, but on every day. Uh, We are to pour our heart before Him. We are to present all of our anxieties, cast our anxieties upon Christ, uh, upon the Lord. Uh, We are to seek his counsel. We are to pray to him. We are to repent of sin and to do this daily, intimately, uh, quietly, you might say, to quiet our hearts before him. There is, of course, one more person that we need to draw our attention to, and it's not Methuselah. (laughs) Methuselah is, is interesting, but there's He's only known because, he, because of his long lifespan, um, which, by the way, is only seven years more than Jared's lifespan. Jared has a pretty long lifespan, but nobody talks about Jared, uh, only Methuselah. But it's not Methuselah, and of course it's Noah in verses 28 and 29. When Lamech fathers a son and names him Noah, he says, out of the ground the Lord is cursed. This one shall bring us relief 
from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. What what is he referring to, the painful toil of our hands? Well, that's a reference back to Genesis 3, verse 17. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So part of God's curse, curse to Adam was the painful toil of his hands. And when they name Noah, they are hoping that he would bring them rest. And that, in fact, Noah means rest. It's also similar to the word comfort in Hebrew. And they're looking back on the curse, and they're hoping that maybe Noah will be the one to bring us rest. Maybe he will be the one to deliver us. If you remember that summary that I gave you of the Bible last time I preached, and that was uh, that God seeks to uh, commune with us, with a holy people in a holy realm, through an obedient federal head, uh, advancing us beyond testing into rest. That, that word rest is a rich one that's found all the way throughout Scripture, the seventh day. Uh, on the seventh day, God rested. It's a sign of the rest that we will enter into through Christ uh, one day, and there, there remains a rest, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's interesting that in the book of Genesis and throughout the Bible, when a, a son is born, and sometimes a daughter, it's, it's sometimes an occasion of prophecy. They, the hopes and dreams and desires of the parents are often caught up in the name that they give their child. And we see that in, in Noah. And of course, we, we saw that too um, in Enoch as dedicating in, in, his, in his, there were two, of course, two Enochs. One was the line of Seth and one was from the line of Cain. But uh, from the line of Seth would be dedicated to the Lord. Well, finally, what do we learn from this? Of course, the, the primary thing that we learn is that no one can truly bring us rest and deliverance but Jesus Christ alone. What these men and women were hoping for all the way from the very beginning was someone who would advance them beyond the testing of this life and win God's rest, overcome the serpent. Of course, the only person who could ever do that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I find particularly moving about Jesus Christ's life is that we see an intimate walking with God. Of course, we know that Jesus walked with his Father. We also know that he was God, but there was an intimate fellowship that Jesus had throughout his life, even closer than Enoch or Elijah or Noah. There was an intimate fellowship. But what did Jesus Christ get as a result of his intimate fellowship? You might think, well, he was taken away just like Enoch. That's not true. Uh, Jesus Christ had more intimate fellowship with his Father than anyone who lived, and yet he wasn't taken away like Enoch or Elijah. Uh, What he got was instead of immediately life, he got the wrath of God because that was his purpose in coming. His purpose in coming was not only that he would obey the law perfectly for you and I, but that he would suffer the punishment of our sins. And that meant undertaking the full wrath of God on our behalf. And so while he certainly deserved to go straight to 
the Lord and to be taken without suffering, we know that he suffered, bled, and died on our behalf. Um, That's what we can learn, and that's what we can be so grateful for. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ, and are you walking with him? Are you spending your time, your days following after him? Uh, that's what we ought to do. We ought to call upon the name of the Lord. There is no other name under heaven or earth which we can be saved. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for the life that you give us through Christ. Uh, we recognize that all of us, because of sin, don't belong to the line of Seth. We, we belong to the line of Cain. And we belong uh, to those who have rebelled against you. We are, um, apart from your grace, dead in our trespasses and sins. We confess that we have devalued life. And uh, yet, Lord, because of your grace and because of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the dominion of your Son. And we are forever grateful for this. Uh, We could never repay the debt that we owe. But we praise you that even in the genealogies and the the somewhat tedious details of your word, there is grace and life that is breathed into us uh, in your word. We thank you that all of it is useful and instructive for training in righteousness. And all of it points to the dear um, grace that we have in your beloved son. We pray that you would, in your spirit, Uh, through your spirit, in the word of God, that you would speak to us in a way that brings us into greater and greater intimacy with you, uh, that we would walk with you as Enoch walked with you, uh, that we would call upon the name of the Lord, and that we would put our deliverance and hope only in Jesus Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.